Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John. First John chapter 5, as we continue our series in this short letter of John. First John chapter 5, in a moment we're going to be reading the first five verses of First John chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at those five verses under the title, Are You Born of God? Are You Born of God? Of God. I wonder if I could speak to the boys and girls here this morning. Boys and girls, I wonder do you remember when you were born? Really? I think some people are shaking their heads. You can't remember when you were born. I'm shocked. Imagine if I said, I can remember when I was born. Do you think I was telling the truth? No. I'm probably not telling the truth. What if I did? What if I said, Mommy, I'm ready to come out into the world. I'm going to decide right now I'm coming out, and I'm coming out when I want to. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Because are are we in control when we're born? No, someone else is. Maybe it's the doctor. And there's someone actually more powerful than the doctor or the nurses who's in control when we are born. And that is God, isn't it? God decides when we are born. God is in control of all things. And I'm sure, like me, you don't remember when you were born, do you? But you know that you are born, don't you? You were born. You know why we know this? Because we're walking around. We're no longer in our mommy's womb anymore. But we need to be born again. What does that mean? To be born again? You might think, do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? That's impossible. But I'm saying that you need to be born a second time. Spiritually, born a second time from heaven, born a second time from God, that you can say that you are born of God, that you are one of God's children. Yes, you are children of your mommy and your daddy, but Are you a child of God? You need a second birth. You need to be born again. And if you are born of God, you're going to love the sound of your father's voice. Isn't that wonderful? Do you love the sound of your parents' voices, boys and girls? Do you love when you hear your mommy and your daddy in the morning? You do. You hear hear them coming back from work. You're excited to give them a hug. When they come in through the door. Well, boys and girls, if you're a child of God and if you're born of God, you're going to love the Bible. You're going to love the sound of the Father's voice. And it's here. That's how you know if you're born of God. So let us hear now God's holy, 
and his infallible words as we read from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Let us hear God's holy word. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. Birthdays are very important, aren't they? Birthdays are times of celebration. Why do we celebrate birthdays? Most people celebrate their birthdays. They can be great family days. Days when we remember, we might even take out the photo albums for when you were little. My mother sometimes does this with us. Sometimes you open up the, 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 the pictures when you were small. And what's there to celebrate with birthdays? What's there to celebrate when you look back at a time of birth? The fact that there's life. Life is a wonderful blessing. Life is something that we need to thank God for. Because we know, don't we, that birth... You know, there's a lot of worry. There's, when somebody's giving birth, you pray for the person a lot because there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, ever since the fall of Adam, giving birth has been very difficult. So a birthday is a time of celebration to thank God because we're so glad when somebody is born safely. We still remember it many years Later, and we celebrate this. It is an occasion for celebration. Who gives this life to you? Do you? Do you, did you in your womb one day say, Look, I'm ready to come out? I'm ready to come out now into the world. Now, world, here I come. Or was it someone else in control? Of when you were born and when you were given life. God was in control when you came out into the world. We celebrate life. But there's something far more important than our physical life. Our physical life is important. But there's something far more important than that. Our spiritual life. Life from heaven. Eternal life. If you are born once you were alive on this earth, walking around. But if you're born again of God, born of God, as our text talks about, 
then you will have not just life on this earth, maybe 80, 90 years if you're blessed, but forever and ever. Forever and ever. There was a time, dear friends, when people used to live 900 years before the time of the flood. We think a long life is about 100 years now. This is spiritual life, is life that goes on forever and ever. And the question we need to ask ourselves here this morning as we look at this text from the, from the scriptures. Do you have this life? Do you have this life given by God to his people? Are you born of God? And if you've been born of God, let us celebrate. Let us celebrate that fact. Let us celebrate that victory. Let us celebrate that new birth. Let us celebrate that you will enter heaven one day. So let us look at this. We're going to look at this in the four headings. The first heading is the truth. Number one, the truth. We must believe the truth. And if we don't believe the truth, we're not born of God. Verse 1 says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Just up to that point in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The truth. Jesus is, John 14, 6, the truth, the way, and the life. But he is the truth. And to believe the truth is to believe that Jesus is what? The Christ. And to believe the truth, we do not believe that he is a truth. He is one of many ways. No, no, no. He is the only way. He is the only life. The other way is a broad road that leads unto destruction. The only way is through Jesus. Apart from him, there is judgment. Apart from him, we have to go and face the punishment for our sins and pay for it ourselves. Who is Jesus? Who we have to believe? Who is this truth? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ? Well, he's the Christ. And as we've said in previous sermons, Christ is not like, you know, a surname. You know, sometimes we think of, I think we think Jesus Christ is, you know, like Tom Smith. Or, you know, my second name is Flynn. Or a second name like Crommy or something like that. No, no, no. This is Jesus the Christ. This is Jesus, the Messiah. This is Jesus, the anointed one. This is a a title given to him. It's very specific. We say Jesus is the Messiah. That means he's literally anointed with oil. And what does that mean? What does it mean that he is the Christ? He is the anointed one. In the Old Testament, there were three groups of people. Three groups of people. Who were anointed. Prophets. Priests. And kings. In our evening service. As we're looking through topics from the Westminster Larger Catechism. We were looking at Jesus in his office. In his office as Christ. He is a prophet. The ultimate prophet. He is the priest. The ultimate priest. And 
that will go on forever and ever. And he is the king of kings. The anointed one. All these roles, usually separated, prophet, priest, and king, all brought into one in Jesus. Jesus is that ultimate anointed one. He is the Christ. So in that statement, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, there's a lot said there. He is the priest. He is the prophet. He is the king. It says in Hebrews 1 verses 8 and 9, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9 in Hebrews 1. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Speaking about Christ, he has anointed you with the oil of gladness. More than your companions. So this picture of oil being poured upon someone is this picture of the Lord being glad to bless that specific person. In Psalm 2, it says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Uh, Psalm 2, verse 2, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against two, against the Lord and against his anointed. His anointed, saying. So, and then when it quotes in the New Testament, it says this, The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. It's the same word. Christ is the same as the anointed one. He is the anointed one. And so to believe that Jesus is that anointed one, that Messiah, if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you are born of God. To believe the truth. To believe the truth. The truth for us to believe is that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the truth, the way, and the life. That he is the son of God. Verse 5. Verse 5 it says in the second half of verse 5. And he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Is Jesus this morning. In the midst of a, a changing generation. A generation that can't decide what truth is. Uh, truth for this generation is, is sifting sand. It changes from from almost from person to person. But for you, do you believe that Jesus is the truth? Not our feelings. Not, not popular opinion. But Jesus, is he the truth? The way and the life. If he is the truth for you, how you live your life, the standards by which you follow, of course imperfectly, but you follow him. If he is the truth, then you are born of God. If he's not, if Jesus is just convenient, then that is something to be concerned about. If he is the truth, how you make your decisions in life. You're going to the Bible. You're going to the word of Christ. You're going to him to find a Lord. What would you have me do in this situation? That we're willing to listen to him. And there are times. And I've faced these times over my own walk. 
that I will want to do one thing. But then I'll see the Lord wants me to do something else. Not my will, but thine be done. We've always got to have that attitude. And if we do that, the Lord will also make us love that which maybe in the past we didn't like. He is that standard to see if something is good or bad. And not just good or bad in a general way, good or bad for you. The commandments are good for your soul. Jesus brings health and life to our souls. He brings joy and gladness. Do you want to be like him? There's a question for you. You know, people talk about their favorite film star or their favorite sports personality or someone who's a a major influence in their life. You know, somebody might say, I want to be like my father or I want to be like my uncle or I want to be like this professional football player. But do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you love him? Do you... Are you in awe of him? And it says in in verse 1, and everyone, this is the second half of verse 1, and everyone who loves him, who begot, that's God, also loves him who is begotten of him. So everyone who loves him, that's God, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. We don't typically use that word begot and begotten in modern English, but Begotten is, to be begotten of somebody is a father and a son kind of relationship. To be born of God. He is, God is the one who begets his children. And it says here, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Basically, those who are children of the one who is truth. Those who are born of God, you also love. To believe the truth is to follow it. And to follow it not just alone, but with everyone else around you who also loves the truth. To say you love Jesus and to not follow him is is, is self-deception, friends. To say you love Jesus and you don't follow him. I'll guarantee you this much today. If, if in this fallen world, it will cost you. It will cost you to follow Christ. There's nothing more certain. But it will cost you far more in the world to come if you don't follow Christ. It will cost you your soul in hell. But if you love the truth... If you love the children, you could say, of the truth, born of truth, then you are born of God. I'll put it like this. You feel closer, don't you, to fellow believers in Christ. You share Christ, who is the truth. So the truth, now number two, the treasure. The treasure. What do you value? Are you born of God? Verse two. By this we know That we love the children of God, which we're talked about in verse 1. When we love God and keep his commandments. By this we know. When we love God and keep 
his commandments. Now, keep his commandments. The idea of keeping something, uh, in the original language, has got this idea of protecting something. You know, you keep something, say you something valuable. You keep it, you guard it, you, you preserve it, and you protect it because it means so much to you. What do we do with the things we care about, the things we love, the things we wish to protect? We put them under lock and key, don't we? We leave the house, you left the house this morning, I'm sure you locked the, the door behind you. Because you have valuable things in your home that you don't want anybody to come in and steal. In Proverbs 4.23, it says this, Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Uh, The Proverbs are saying, guard your heart. Your heart needs to be guarded far more than even your house. Because when we let things in, out of it come all the issues of life. You keep and protect what is valuable to you. You hide that, uh, that expensive or valuable jewelry in a safe that no one can steal it away. And the most valuable thing to the Christian are the commandments of God. We love them. We wish to keep them. It says in Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you hidden kept and that's another way of keep your heart with all diligence keep the commandments of God in your heart that they will be a treasure to you in your heart do you value the law of God because we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments, they really go together. To treasure God is really to treasure his commandments, to hide the truth in our mind and in our heart. And as we think about hiding things and protecting things, it's so important that we hide the truth in our hearts. It's why it's good for especially young people of any age to learn the Bible, to learn memory verses, to have verses in times of difficulty and and trial that you remember in your mind and in your heart that remind you that Jesus is your Savior, that you were born of God and that you have had victory over death and over the devil. Learn the Bible. It says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, parents, read the Bible to your children. Not just even for your children, but for you. You'll be blessed by it. To encourage them to read it themselves as early as they possibly can. Start off with, maybe your child learns a verse. And then maybe reads another verse by himself. And before you know it, they're reading paragraphs and maybe, maybe chapters one day. Not just the Sabbath day, but every day. One of the major reasons for the decline of religion in our land, there's no doubt about this, is we have, like Old Testament Israel, 
neglected God's word. We have it. We have Bibles in every home almost. But what are we doing with those Bibles? What are we doing? Are we spending time with the word of God? Are we spending time alone with God? Because what will happen if we neglect it? Our hearts will become hardened towards it. That's a dangerous place to be. But how can we change this? Okay, this is the situation for today. How can we change things for a brighter future? And by keeping the commandments. Because whatever brighter, if we're looking for a brighter future, it's going to be with commandment keeping. Or else it's not going to be a brighter future at all. And that brighter future includes loving neighbor and loving God. That's a bright future. For God and for neighbor, a love. Our closest neighbors and homes. Reading the word of God to one another. Teaching and blessing one another. Every generation of the church. The commandments are good things. They are not horrible, burdensome things. It even says it in our text here. It says in verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. I hope that the, the thought of commandment keeping does not sound like horrible, burdensome, toilsome, something horrible here this morning. Sin is burdensome. Rejecting of God's law is burdensome. If you've ever read through Pilgrim's Progress, remember uh, Christians traveling along and that burden on his back keeps getting heavier and heavier. But as soon as he looks to the cross, that burden rolls off his back. And things are wonderful as long as he's following God. Now he falls into difficulty, he falls into toil, and as, as we all do, on his way to his celestial home. But the burden of Christ is light. It's wonderful. It it brings peace and joy in our hearts. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And I I absolutely adore this verse because it was one of the, the verses that brought me to know Christ. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I heard that, I was heavy laden. And when I came to Christ, I was no longer. His burden is light. Follow, following Christ is not burdensome. It, it is refreshing. It is joyful. It is a blessing. It is something to be treasured. Number three now, the test. The test. Why does John explain this? By this we know. There's kind of a test, isn't there? We know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
It's really all pointing back to verse 1, which says, And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. In Psalm 119, it says this in verse 167, My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. So if we have a love for God, which is the, the kind of the, the test that John is putting in there, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. If we have a love for God and a love for neighbor, we will keep his commandments. Put it another way, a love for God changes you. It will change how you live. It will be seen in your head. It will be seen in your heart. Your affections, what you love, what you hate, will be affected by God. What is important to you? How much do we focus on him? You know, if you're in school and you love to study, you love studying, you love the the subject you're studying, well, you'll probably do better than someone who doesn't love what he studies. The test results will probably be far greater. It says in Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The love we have for God will sometimes look like to the rest of the world as if it's hatred. Sometimes it will look as if We're being unloving. Because we have such a a focus on Christ and a love for Christ, it does appear that even our love for everyone else even can come across as hatred. It says in Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother. Now, Jesus is not saying, hate your father and your mother. But, There's something being said here, isn't there? That it will appear that he'll have such a love, he or she will have such a love for God, that it will look like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? Love me more than everything else in the world. That's the love of God. And out of that love of God, we do show a love for neighbor. We must. Otherwise, it's not a genuine love. It says in verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You have had victory, dear friend. If you can see this fruit in your life, you have this victory. Even though your faith may not be the strongest, it may be weak, it may be small. But if you have this faith, but if you do have weak faith, ask for God for stronger faith. James 1.6 says this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. Finally, number four, the triumph. 
the triumph. So we've seen the test, and now we're going to look at the triumph. Our last point. How do we have this victory? What do we need to possess to have this victory? Well, it tells us in verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So, dear friends, if you've been born of God, you have overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. What kind of faith? True saving faith in Jesus Christ. Weak faith, strong faith, but as long as it is faith and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our salvation, your faith has overcome the world. All the problems that you may be facing here this morning, all the challenges, all the obstacles, all the doubts, all the sleepless nights, all the tears and disappointments and frustrations of this world cannot undo this. They can't. The devil will try to overwhelm you. The world and the flesh will try to overwhelm you. To have you give up. You see, God will not let you out of his grip, will he? But the devil can discourage you. To forget this one fact. That this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our Faith. Our faith. And all the disappointments of this world will come to an end. They will. All the attempts and the taunts of the devil will one day come to an end. All the trials and the tribulations, the temptations will all come to an end victorious in Jesus Christ. See, we know the end. We know the end. We need to be continually reminded of how this is going to finish. Victory. And that victory that we will have in its fullness one day, we have today. By faith. And we don't just overcome something small. It says, the world. Overcome the world. In in 1 John 2.16, 1 John 2.16, it talks about the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And these things, friends, as Christians, they will torment us often. Points in our Christian life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But we've been told, what? For whatever is born of God, overcomes the world. Victorious by our faith in Jesus Christ. What challenges are you facing here this morning? What obstacles? What, what, what things is Satan attempting to plant in your heart? Because he does. Satan plants ideas and temptations and Taunts and many things to make you want to give up. To make you forget this, that you've overcome the world by faith. That in 
the midst of sorrows and toils that you need to give up. That is the enemy speaking. That's the enemy speaking. The enemy cannot remove your victory, but the enemy can remove your confidence at times. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 50 to 57, So when this corruptible has put on incorruptible, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Do you have faith? If you have faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that is what saves you. You have victory. But thanks be to God who gives us who have faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the most wonderful thing for the Christian believer to hear. To be reminded of that. That he or she has victory in Jesus Christ. Verse 5 of our text. Who is he who overcomes the world? Or he or she. But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe that this morning? And if you believe that this morning. You are victorious in him. Should that not be a reason to celebrate? The Christian religion is really, a, it must be joyful. Think about it. Our, 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 our beliefs, if they're believed, why would they not make us a joyful people? I'm not saying you won't go through trial and difficulties. I'm not saying that we're just going to be happy 24-7 every day of the week. That's not reality. But it is characterized by a joy and a peace that the world simply does not have. And in a way that the world is slightly jealous of. We share with other people who don't know Christ how much Jesus means to us. He's the captain of our salvation. It says in Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If our Christianity is not joyful, a celebration, you could put it like that, a joyful celebration, the next generation are going to go up wondering, why, why would I want to do that? It's never going to be Attractive to the next generation, is it? If our Christianity is not a Christianity of joy, we have victory. We have overcome the world. We believe in Jesus Christ. We follow his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. They're light. They are wonderful. We love God. We love our neighbor. Surely there should be joy there. Rejoicing. And as we are going to do now in a moment, as we come to praise our God with joy in our hearts, but ask you as we finish, are you born of God? Are you a part of God's family? I don't mean are you a member of the church, and that's an important thing as well. 
but are you a member of God's house by faith? Your your parents can't believe for you. Your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your history in the church cannot save you. Faith in Jesus Christ brings this victory. Christ alone brings this victory. And if you have, then you are the most blessed. One of the most blessed people upon the face of the earth. Because you know Jesus Christ. And you have victory in him. Are you born of God? Amen.